0: Well, a few weeks ago, as you recall, I began this new series. It's a series I'm calling The Case for Grace. And the signature message of this series is Forsaking the Hybrid Gospel. Today, I'm going to minister for a few minutes through the third message in this series, a message I'm calling Breadcrumbs of grace. Now I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me, and I believe when I stand here I speak for the Father as well. Given the choice, I prefer the breadcrumbs of grace over the loaf of law. Have you ever noticed that when it comes to legalism and the law that so much of the church is kind of like that 1972 television commercial. You'll all recognize it when I say it. Let go my ego. So much of the church, when you start messing with their legalism, you start messing with their law-centered doctrine. That is the mentality. Let go my ego. They simply do not want you to mess with the way that they've been programmed. You know, I was thinking about this yesterday and I thought, what is it that makes people want to hold on to the erroneous doctrine that they've been programmed with, and not walk away from this hybrid gospel? Is it really something as simple as pride? Is it that? Is it fear? Is it embarrassment? Is it the climate of satisfaction? Because we realize it's going to take work to change. And it does, friends. You have to work against the programming. Because the programming keeps sending signals to you. And as this transformation begins to take place, how many of you know The way you were programmed wants to still use its voice. Perhaps people are just too sophisticated. Maybe that's it. Is it the thought for many people that I've got to start over? Friends, I don't know about you, but I was never happier in my life than just to start over. Even though I had been a believer for many, many years. Friends, a gospel that adds even a thimble of law to an ocean of grace is an imposter gospel. It's an impossible gospel. I'm talking about an emulsified gospel. Let's just call it what Paul called it. He said, it's no gospel at all. How did the church get into this condition, you ask? How did the church wander so far away from her freedoms? Well, (laughs) those are thorny questions, and I wish all the answers were poke-free. But I know when you deal with thorns, you're going to get poked, aren't you? Come on, you're going to get poked. Friends, I'm never here to pick a fight. I'm never here to point a finger. Or to poke fun at anyone. I am here to stand for our freedoms in Christ. The church got herself into this condition because she forsook grace and truth and embraced law and lies. I'm not saying she intended to do that, that was not her intent. But she went with her emotions, she went with her feelings. Now I don't know much about baking, Valerie does all of our baking, but I'm pretty sure that a baker would never use baby powder in place of powdered sugar, would he? (laughs) Come on. They're both powder. What if you don't have any powdered sugar? Won't baby powder do? That's a ridiculous thought, isn't it? In forsaking grace and truth for law and lies, many have found themselves in a gospel that has no power to transform their lives. It has no power to transform their lives. No power for you to really live life and see good days. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, we find these words. Look what the apostle Paul wrote for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, come on, to be a sin offering. And also he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What is your takeaway when you read those two scriptures? What is Paul's main point? Paul's main point is that the law was powerless, and it still is. Paul, who had first-hand revelation, Paul, the preacher of the gospel of grace, Paul himself wrote the words, For the law was powerless. Not little power, powerless. That means no power. Kind of like when your car runs out of gas. Powerless. And nothing has changed. In fact, The law was powerless when it was delivered to Moses. It didn't gradually become less powerful. It was always powerless. The law is powerless to stop us from sinning, impotent to change us, ineffective to save us, incapable of making us righteous, And the law was and is unqualified to make us perfect for all time. Would you agree with that? Unqualified to make us perfect. How do I know that? Because the scriptures say, the law made nothing perfect. I don't know how our eyes glaze over when we look at scriptures like this. I don't know how our ears just seem to go Death for the moment. I don't know how that's possible. Only Jesus. Come on, we sang about him today. Holy Christ. Only Jesus. Salvation only comes by grace through faith in his once for all sacrifice on the cross. This is the power. Grace is the power. Jesus is the power. His sacrifice is the power. Once for all, this is the power by which we become sons and daughters of the King. Now, I happen to have a ninja blender sitting on my countertop in the kitchen at home, and I use that ninja blender Every morning. I almost hate to run it when Valerie's still sleeping because it makes a lot of noise, that motor alone, but crunching up those ice cubes. But I like a shake for breakfast. I hardly ever eat anything but that shake for breakfast. I love a good breakfast smoothie. And over the years, I have worn out a ninja or two. And I can assure you on the day that I wear out that current ninja, the day that that current ninja becomes powerless, it will be disposed of. It will probably happen that same day, if not the next, because I don't want to have to go without my shakes, okay? Pastor Mark, are you saying that the law was disposed of? Not at all. I'm not saying that. Jesus himself said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Well, then I've got some explaining to do, don't I? What in the world are you talking about then? I'm saying that the law was disposed of only in the sense That believers are no longer under the law and we do not observe or participate or obey the law for our right standing, our righteousness in Christ. That's what I'm saying. The moral law of God still exists and it's very effective in bringing the stubborn, the hard hearted, the insensitive people to Christ. Paul said, I would have not known what coveting was except by the law. So the law can be very effective to bring people to Christ for salvation. But the scriptures tell us, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Friends, the law is perfect, but it makes no one, it makes nothing perfect. How can something so perfect Make nothing perfect. It's the same thing with a mirror. The mirror can tell you you need to comb your hair. But the mirror has no ability to comb your hair. And that's what the law can do. It can tell you certain things, but we are no longer under the law. We're free from the law. We're dead to the law. We're no longer under the law, and Christ is the end of the law for those that believe. Christianity has been taught that like a ninja blender, we need to blend the Old Covenant with the New Covenant, the law with grace in order to serve up a smoothie that is nutritious and well-balanced. I hear that word. You need to balance things, brother. Well-balanced for us to drink. But in doing so, we would be emulsifying grace and truth with law and lies. Friends, I've come by today to remind us that if we blend together a pint of milk, a squirt of stevia, a scoop of shake mix, a handful of nuts, a heaping teaspoon of cocoa powder, and five or six ice cubes, that's my drink, by the way, and then we throw in a cup of law, and two cups of grace. You know what we end up with? We end up with a Molotov cocktail. We end up with a drink that is unfit for human consumption. You cannot, you cannot add anything to his grace. His grace is no longer beautiful to me when I feel like I have to add something to it because I'm essentially saying your grace was not enough. And that's a slap in the face of Jesus. His grace was enough. God told Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. In other words, he was saying, Paul, don't look anywhere else. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Don't look behind you. Paul. I'm telling you, you will always find my grace is sufficient. Drinking a drink that has law mixed into it is a recipe for failure and frustration. You don't lose your salvation, but you feel like a failure. You can never get rid of that guilt and shame and condemnation. You can never soar above fear. It's a recipe for failure and frustration. Grace needs no enhancers, no substitutes, no helpers, and no artificial ingredients. No man-made stuff. Doesn't need it, friends. Fall in love with Him. Fall in love with His grace. Watch it change you. In Galatians chapter 3, Verses 1 through 6, we find these words. This is the Apostle Paul writing. Look what he says. He says, you foolish Galatians. I have been saved for 28 years. I don't know as though I've ever written a letter. I don't know as though I've ever looked somebody in the eyes and said, you're foolish. I thought it. He's pretty brazen, isn't he? He's pretty bold. But he's got a point for writing this letter to the Galatians. And how many of you know there's just times in life you've got to tackle stuff? you got to get stuff out there. you got to talk about stuff. And the Apostle Paul says, you foolish Galatians. Now, the word foolish there, you may think it sounds like, like stupid Galatians. He's not saying that, friends. The word foolish is probably not the best translation for us. When you look it up in the Greek, it literally means sensual, you know, like the five senses, sensual. It means you're operating by feelings and emotions. And so the apostle Paul says, okay, I know your problem. I've heard enough about what's going on there. I know the condition you were in when I left. I'm hearing all the reports. And I know your problem. You're going by feelings and emotions again. And you know what happens in the church? People build. They build a doctrine around feelings and emotions. They build a doctrine, an entire doctrine. Because that's what they want to be true. That's what they desire to be true. He's calling them foolish Galatians, but he's literally saying, you sensual, you emotional, you go by the feelings, Galatians. And later on he would say, I set before your very eyes, Jesus Christ, the bread of life, and you traded him away for a loaf of law. You foolish Galatians. The word foolish in the Greek is the word Anoetos. it originates from two Greek words. A, ah is alpha and alpha means first. The alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Alpha means first. And Oeo means to understand. In other words, by calling the Galatians foolish, He was literally saying, you don't understand the first thing about the true gospel. He used a word that they would have been familiar with, that I don't understand the first principle. I don't understand the first thing. And that's a problem, wouldn't you agree? How many of you want people behind the wheel that don't understand the first thing about driving? I don't want to be on the streets, do you? No, we want them to understand a lot about driving. And so when the Apostle Paul is challenging them, showing one true gospel and how you get there, he's saying, based on what I'm hearing about you, you don't understand the first thing about the gospel of grace. You have allowed your emotions and feelings to emulsify with the tantalizing loaf of law, and in doing so, you have forsaken the breadcrumbs of grace. The next thing he says after he says, you foolish Galatians, he says, who has bewitched you? Now, is that a word we use very often, bewitched? I mean, the only time I remember was Samantha Stevens, the bewitched lady, right? But we don't use that word. So what is he saying? It's kind of a little fuzzy for us, isn't it? Who has bewitched you? In the Strong's Concordance, the word bewitched means fascinated you with false representations. Now this is the question that the Apostle Paul is asking the Galatians. He is saying, who has fascinated you? Who has captivated you? Who has riveted you to your seat? Who has spellbound you where you just stare out in the space with your jaw open? Who has enchanted you? Who is that? Now, the Apostle Paul knows who it is. This is a rhetorical question, but sometimes you have to ask those kind of things to get people to thinking. He knows who it is. He knows it's the Judaizers. So in the concordance, who has bewitched you means who has fascinated you. And it means with false representations. In other words, Paul's saying, they are not representing the Father the way I know the Father. They are not representing Jesus and his gospel of grace the way it should be represented. These are false representations. Now, I want you to see it, that same word bewitched, in the Vines Dictionary. The word bewitched in the Vines Dictionary translates as led into an evil doctrine. So the Apostle Paul, when he said, who has bewitched you, he is asking the Galatians in his letter, who is it that led you into an evil doctrine? Doctrine. Oh, an evil doctrine? Who did this? When I was meditating on that yesterday, a question began to come to my heart. What was it? What was it that was so evil about the Judaizers' doctrine? Because that's where the Galatian church got it from. What was it that was so evil? Was it tarot cards and Ouija boards and all these kind of devilish things? No! See, that's where our mind goes to when we think of evil, black, magic, all kinds of things. No! So what was it that was so evil about the Judaizers' doctrine? After all, they were professed and sincere followers of God. Their doctrine was evil because they taught that Gentile believers needed to be circumcised, and that Gentile believers needed to obey the entire Mosaic law, the law of Moses. You had to obey it. You had to keep it. And the Apostle Paul would say, that is an evil doctrine. Friends, it creates an emotional pain on the inside of me that I can't locate when I hear ministers put the body of Christ under the law because I know they're going to stay stuck. You remember when we had just rear wheel drives on our vehicles, it was so easy to get hung up in the snow, right? And the worst case scenario, (laughs) if you got stuck, you waited till spring, the ice melted away, the snow went away and you're no longer stuck. But the apostle Paul saying you're stuck. You can never get out of this. You can never get out of this doctrine. Unless you see that it's Christ plus nothing. Because the moment you put yourself under the law, I don't care if it's circumcision or baptism, it doesn't matter what ism it is, whatever it is, then that means you have to obey the entire law. And now we're talking about a law that made nothing perfect. You see the merry-go-round that you're on, minus the merry? You see how that works? So there's a pain that I can sense inside of me. It's a heartache is what it is. And sometimes I wish a doctor could just take a scalpel and cut it out of me so that I wouldn't feel that anymore because I care about people and I don't like to see them stuck. But I can tell you without equivocation that the nonsensical teachings of the Judaizers are still rampant in many of our modern churches, still rampant. Law, law based stuff. You must do to become. The Judaizers' influence was so insidious that the Apostle Paul referred to them. I believe it's in Corinthians as intruders and false brothers. He said, "You guys are a bunch of intruders. You're false brothers." The Apostle Paul continued, he says, Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Come on. Before your very eyes. In other words, some of you might have even been there. But you certainly heard about this man before your very eyes. Christ Jesus was portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Come on. Or by believing what you heard? He's saying this is just multiple choice, A or B, true or false, one or the other. He said, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law, that's one, or by believing what you heard, that's two. And then he says again, are you so foolish? Are you so sensual? Are you so emotional that I can't even talk to you without you falling apart? Am I going to hurt your feelings? He says, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit, he takes them all the way back. He said, Listen, I'm going to help you. After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? <laughs> Come on, guys. That's what Paul's saying. Come on, guys. He was saying, Your journey by grace through faith began with God's power. And are you so foolish that you think you're going to maintain it or finish it off with your power? Can you believe he was dealing with stuff like that? We're still dealing with it. Then he says, have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard. question hasn't changed. You have two options, yes or no, A or B, one or two, true or false. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. No multiple choice for Abraham. I'm going to believe my father. I'm going to believe God. As the apostle Paul pens his letter to the Galatians, you can tell he's a bit ticked off. He's dealing with some stuff, okay? He's getting some things off of his chest. We call it venting today, right? He's upset with the Judaizers, no question about it. He's a little upset with the Galatians, but moreover, he's upset with their choices, Why? Because he wants better for them. He wants to know why. Why are you trading away the breadcrumbs of grace for the loaf of law? Why'd you do that? Friends, bigger in the natural is not always better. I have been to the Smithsonian Institution and I have walked up to the bulletproof display case that encases the Hope Diamond, that three, four hundred million dollar diamond. Very small diamond, but unique and perfect. And I can tell you for sure that that diamond is worth more than all the ground it came out of. And you and I are worth far more than the law-based theology that we came out of. You see, when Paul visited the Galatians during his first missionary journey, he preached Christ alone for salvation. It was not ambiguous. There was no plan B. He preached Christ alone for salvation. And as grace and truth began to establish the Galatians' hearts in Christ, it had an effect on the Galatians, and it should. We understand it has an effect on us. Change began to set in. The Galatians went home and emptied their refrigerators and their cupboards and their pantries of all the spiritual junk food that had been built up over the years. But when the Apostle Paul left Galatia, Guess what happened? (laughs) The ninja Judaizers, those emulsifiers of grace and law, came bearing ding-dongs and Twinkies, and they threw in a head of broccoli just to give it that healthy illusion. You ever notice that sometimes? That you can have all this jargon, all this negative stuff, but if you just top it off with something healthy, something beautiful. No! A thimble of law in an ocean of grace is still law the judaizers had fascinated the galatians with false representations and evil doctrine this is how it started this is the root system of what we're looking at today that has grown up and out of the judaizers false doctrine and message They had loaded the Galatians down with a mixture gospel that wasn't fit for human consumption. It was powerless because it was weakened by the flesh. Nevertheless, the Judaizers sat on the street corners, passing out ninja blenders. Not only had the Galatians lost their first understanding, but they had lost their first love. They had lost their first love. And that's what will eventually happen to a believer when they trade away the breadcrumbs of grace for the loaf of law. You will eventually lose that first love. Again, salvation is a finished work. You'd never lose this. But who wants to go through life without passion and love and adoration and awe and amazement and wonder for our God I went outside last night to walk our dog just before we went to bed. And it was one of those clear nights. I hadn't seen the sky like this in in a long time. And I looked up and the stars were so prominent and so bright. And every time I do that, I just think, oh, God, Daddy, you hung them out there. Like we hang pictures on the wall. You hung all those out there and you know them by name. What a big father. I don't know why they that kind of stuff excites me so much. I suppose I do it's because I'm in awe of him. I'm in amazement of him. But I'm telling you, when you put yourself under the law, you won't even notice those stars. You won't think about those stars. They'll mean nothing to you. But I couldn't help but look at each one of them. They looked different. One had just a very unique appearance to it. And I thought, that is so awesome, Daddy. So amazed by his goodness and grace. His power. And then Paul continued in Galatians chapter 3 there. He said, so also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay, All he did was believe God. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham Scriptures foresaw that God would, come on, justify the Gentiles by faith. Come on. Is there anything else there that we need to be justified by? We're justified by putting the faith that he gave us in Jesus, in the gospel of grace, in the finished work of the cross. That's it. Scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. You didn't realize that was grace for Abraham too. Abraham didn't deserve that. It's grace. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith, that you put your faith in Christ, those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law, come on now, look at this now, for all who rely on the works of the law, what's the works of the law? That Jesus isn't enough, that I have to help maintain, I have to add to what Jesus has done. I have to obey this and this and this, no. It says here, for those who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. And we can find that in Deuteronomy, I believe it's chapter 28, where it talks about all the curses. You got curse for everything back then, it seems like. For all those who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. That means 613 do's and don'ts. And he says there, Cursed is everyone who does not obey all of those laws, the laws he gave to the Jewish people. Clearly, I love these words, no one who relies on the law is justified before God. No one. Didn't say someone. Didn't say a few. Didn't say might. He says Emphatically, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Next scriptures. Look at these words. I said them earlier, but here's where they come up right here in Galatians chapter three. It says, the law is not based on faith. The law is based on obedience, not faith. Faith is the currency of the new covenant, friends. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. I love this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Next scriptures. He redeemed us. In order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith, it sounds like a broken or a scratch record, so by faith, get that in your heart this morning, so by faith, so by faith, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. I want to see if I can drive home my point by planting a word picture in your head this morning. If you were to take a mason jar and fill it halfway with water and then halfway with vegetable oil, put the lid on, nice and tight, and now I want you to take that mason jar and I want you to shake it violently and then sit it on the counter within seconds, the water will separate from the oil and the oil will separate from the water. I know this to be true because I did this as an object lesson for my Sunday school class many, many, many years ago. Friends, the old covenant and the new covenant get shaken together at times. But they were never intended to be mixed together but the church has emulsified grace and truth with law and lies. Now I want to talk to you real quick, I'm going to try to hold your attention here just for a second, on emulsification. Because I keep using that word and you think, what, is that? what does that mean exactly? Emulsification. Two unlike substances, let's just say water and oil, they won't form an emulsion on their own. They need a helper in the form of an emulsifier. Did you ever notice that the two main ingredients in mayonnaise is oil and water, yet mayonnaise never separates? Did you ever notice that? Never separates. Would you like to know why? Because an emulsifier is used when making it. The emulsifier they use is eggs. You see, eggs contain something called lecithin. Emulsifiers are molecules with a fat-soluble part and a water-soluble part and the fat-loving part sticks to the oil and the water-soluble part sticks to the water, creating an effective barrier around the droplets. And that's how they can suspend the droplets so they don't separate from one another. Isn't that fascinating? The breadcrumbs of grace and the loaf of law were never meant to be compatible. Truth and lies are not compatible. Light and dark are not compatible. The emulsifier that the church whisks into her doctrine in order to make grace and law, truth and lies, one with one another, come on, is fear and ignorance, that's all. Now, folks, I feel like I'm dealing with something today because I'm trying to break some nonsense off of people, okay? That's the emulsifier they use, is fear. Oh, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. And just ignorance. Don't go look, don't go look, don't go look. And in doing so, they have created their own barriers, making it impossible for people to see the finished work of the cross, to see the finished work of Jesus Christ. And like the Apostle Paul said in his letter to the Galatians, you don't understand the first thing about the gospel. He said, because you are attempting to use feelings and emotions, fascinations and false doctrines as your emulsifier, whisking them together into the finished work of grace. the Apostle Paul opens that third chapter bombarding the Galatians with questions. Why is Paul so fired up? Is he a salesman on commission? (laughs) Absolutely not. He's a son that has been commissioned. Did you know that for decades that public speaking was the number one fear of people? I was shocked when I Googled that yesterday to find out that the fear of public speaking is not even in the top 10 anymore. Where did the fear of public speaking go? Well, it didn't go anywhere. It just moved down the list. You see, greater threats and fears took its place. The number one fear today, according to 62.1% of all Americans, is corrupt governmental officials. That is the number one fear today. In the top 10, you had things like the fear of spiders, the fear of flying in a plane. Those were all up there, but we live in a different world, friends. How did we get ourselves into such chaos and corruption? How did we become so foolish in our day-to-day decisions? How did we become so enchanted with false representations How were we led into evil doctrines? Friends, it begins at home. It begins by shaping our children's appetite to crave the loaf of law rather than the breadcrumbs of grace. In the natural, parents are the dominant determination of a child's eating behavior and food choices. Dining together is meant to be more than just a time to fill our bellies. It's a time around the table of social interaction. It's a time to listen and to laugh and to love one another. It's a time to learn manners and values and the reasons why we're so thankful. It's a time of bonding and a time of training up a child It's a time even for course correction and certainly a time for praise. It's a time to share the goodnesses and the graces of God that transpired, that took place that day. It's a time to sprinkle the breadcrumbs of grace into our little children's bowls of soup. Sadly, only about 30% of all families eat dinner together on a regular basis. Therefore, most children don't understand the first thing about the values of life. It's our responsibility as parents to set the table with good food choices, not only in the physical sense, friends, but also in the psychological, in the mental, and in the spiritual senses as well, from the food that's put before them on the table to the television programs that they're allowed to watch to the church doctrine that they are exposed to, our children are developing lifelong habits and belief systems. Belief systems and habits they're not going to want to give up very easy. Ministers have a very similar role. We are called to set the table with a profusion of grace rather than confusion of garbage. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28, we find these words. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to see him crying out, Lord, (laughs) come on, Lord, son of David. And I believe that's what she sounded like because there's an exclamation point that they used in the Greek. That means She had some passion behind this. Desperation behind this. She said, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. Now I find this fascinating. It says Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. We say it today like, get out of here, you bother me, right? Send her away, Jesus. She's making too much noise. She's making too much of a fuss. She keeps crying after us. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. Jesus replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. I love this woman's response. She said, yes, it is, Lord. Jesus said, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, most of us would have just walked away at that moment. But she says, yes, it is, Lord. And then she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. What a heartwarming, desperation-canceling story. A story that makes me fall in love with Jesus and the finished work of grace all the more. This account, short as it is, chronicles the Canaanite woman's relentless pursuit of mercy for her demon-possessed daughter. But there was one problem, and it was no small problem. It was an enormous problem. The Canaanite woman and her daughter were Gentiles. They had no covenant. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise having no hope and without God in the world. The Canaanite people not only had no covenant, but they were enemies of the very people that Jesus said that he came for, the lost sheep of Israel. So you want me to do something for you and your people are enemy of the people that I came for? But in the quietness of that moment, None of that mattered. You see, she was not appealing to Jesus based upon the loaf of the law, for she knew she had no covenant. She was appealing to Jesus based upon the breadcrumbs of grace. She knew that there was enough power in the breadcrumbs of grace to heal her daughter. She said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Now, I don't want to interrogate you with a whole bunch of questions, but I do want to provoke you to think about the answers to the following questions. When will the church come to the same conclusion that the Syrophoenician mother came to, that God's entire kingdom operates by grace through faith. When will the church forsake the hybrid gospel? I'm talking about the gospel that wears out Ninja Blenders in its attempt to emulsify law and grace. When will the church realize that the law is powerless to save? And transform? When will believers' appetites for the loaf of law cease? When will brothers and sisters in Christ stop living foolishly by their emotions and feelings and begin to understand that they have been bewitched, fascinated, captivated, riveted, and enchanted with false representations and led back into an old covenant law through the evil doctrines that the Apostle Paul wrote about? when he wrote to the Galatian church, the evil doctrine of Jesus plus Moses, grace plus law. That's an evil doctrine. The Canaanite woman wasn't just operating by feelings and emotions. That's called sensuality, and it leads to begging. And begging is not what pleases God. The church, come on, I'm telling you, I've been here. The church has been taught to beg God. That was one of the things, oh, God, oh, please, God. Well, I can remember those old religious prayers. Oh, God in heaven, please, God, I beseech you, God. So King James-like, you know, you would never talk to your friends like that. We got in this habit of begging God. And then we got in this habit, this movement of bombarding the gates of heaven. How about that one now? Today I bombard the gates of heaven on Johnny's behalf or Sally's behalf through repetitious prayers. And then we got into that demanding stuff, that name it and claim it and take it home and frame it theology. But none of that begging, Bombarding and demanding are the ways to daddy's heart. That Syrophoenician mama was operating by what she understood to be true. But once again, there was one major problem. Jesus was a Jew and she was a Gentile. He was sent to the lost sheep of Israel and she was not included in that bunch. The woman and Jesus had no covenant with one another. They were like oil and water. She needed an emulsifier. She needed a lecithin. Her dire situation required something that would bring her and Jesus together. The emulsifier that she used to release the miracle for her daughter was faith. Faith. Faith in Jesus' ability to provide for her, even without a covenant. How much greater is our provision? How much greater is our protection under the new covenant of grace? Jesus said to her, Woman! You have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that very moment. Let me ask you a question. When you think about the story, when you put yourself in that narrative, did the loaf of the law have anything to do with that miracle. No, sir. No, ma'am. The miracle for the Syrophoenician woman's daughter manifested when the emulsifier of faith was whisked into the breadcrumbs of grace. Faith in Jesus' grace will always lead us into salvation and deliverance. Always. Always, always. My closing thoughts and scriptures come from Joshua chapter 9. How many of you know that Joshua is a type and shadow of our Lord Jesus Christ? As Joshua led the children of Israel into the promised land, likewise, Jesus has led us into his promised land. Joshua made treaties of peace and ratified oaths with his neighbors while they were yet enemies. And once Joshua ratified an oath, he kept it. In the same manner, we brought nothing of value to God's table. We were just enemies. We came like dry, moldy bread. We came to the table like cracked wineskins. We came to the table with worn out clothes and sandals. But fortunately for us, the Father doesn't look upon the outward appearance of man. He looks upon the heart. What impresses the Father is that we approach Him with like precious faith. He's so impressed with that. Here are the words that Jesus spoke again to the Syrophoenician woman. You have great faith. Your request is granted. No more begging. No more bombarding. No more demanding. But knowing your rights as sons and daughters. Your request is granted. Friends, Jesus is our oath keeper before the Father. He will never break his promises to us, never break his oath to us. In Joshua chapter 9, verses 1 through 15, these are my closing scriptures. Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, the kings in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and as far as Lebanon, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. You've got a lot of kings, you got a lot of soldiers, a lot of territories, and look at their motivation to wage war against Joshua and Israel. However, When the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, we have come from a distant country, make a treaty with us. The Israelites said to the people, but perhaps you live near us. So how can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? They answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sion king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, Take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled were new, but see how cracked they are and our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The Israelites sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Friends, at times, at times, The journey in life can feel so long. But in Christ, we have all provision. Sometimes, I get it, we feel a little cracked and worn out. There are going to be times when we feel a bit dry and crusty. Times when we feel a bit loaded down with the cares of life. But in times such as these, we must not trust in our feelings and emotions, but rather trust in Jesus, the one who ratified the new covenant with his blood on the cross. I'm talking about the promise keeper. I'm talking about the oath keeper. I'm talking about the gatekeeper, friends. The one who loves you with an endearing and everlasting love. That keeper. The keeper of your soul. In closing, I want to encourage us to take time on a regular basis to meditate upon the Lord's goodness. Take time to reflect back. I love to do that. Especially to those hard and crusty places of life. We've all got them in our past somewhere. Take time to reflect back. Would you like to know what you'll discover? Would you like to know what will happen to you? Would you like to know what you're going to see? Well, friends, you're going to discover That your journey to where you are today has been absolutely littered with the breadcrumbs of grace. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these I am no longer eating from the loaf of law, I am sufficiently satisfied through the breadcrumbs of grace. My prayer for the body of Christ is that she would awaken to the truths of the finished work of the cross, evidenced by their forsaking of the hybrid gospel, a gospel in which the Apostle Paul declared was no gospel at all. In light of all the Apostle Paul's writings, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus and Philemon. In light of all of his writings, you're going to find a very congruent flow to his writings. But when you think about and you read, you study his writings, you have to ask the question, why? Why would any believer want to hold on to the law? Good question. Paul wrote that the law was powerless powerless to save, powerless to work miracles among us, powerless to impart the Holy Spirit, powerless to stop believers from sinning, powerless to make us holy, powerless to make us righteous, and powerless to make us perfect. Only God can supply all of these virtues. And he supplies all of our need through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Friends, I told you earlier, I love a good breakfast smoothie. Just as long as no law is added in as one of the ingredients. Even a pinch, even a hint of law makes it intolerable to drink. You say, Pastor Mark, I've got a question for you. What about all the ministers that teach their people that they have to balance law with grace? I've heard them say that even recently. Well, brother, you've got to balance grace with some law. What about those ministers that say that? Well, I say to you and I say to them, please show me that in the Word. Show me that in the Bible. Friend, you will search forever because it's not there. It's not there. In order for law and grace to become one, they would have to become emulsified with one another. So the question becomes, where do I find the lecithin, the bonding agent to marry law with grace? You see, there's only one bonding agent that gains us access into grace, and that bonding agent is faith. Just ask the Syrophoenician woman. But the scriptures tell us that the law is not based on faith. Therefore, in the absence of the substance of faith, the law has no ability to be emulsified with grace. There is no balancing act to perform. Get yourself out of the circus, friends. There is no balancing act. Jesus did it all. The scriptures tell us that God redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise Of the Spirit. And what again was the promise of the Spirit? Redemption from the curse of the law through justification by faith. Friends, the Judaizers' message is still around. They still promote Ninja Blenders. They still promote those giveaways. And they attempt to restock our pantries with Twinkies and Ding Dongs, law and legalism, spiritual junk food that cannot sustain life. My encouragement to you is to not fall prey to their false representations and evil doctrine, the doctrine that teaches that believers need to be circumcised, obey the entire law of Moses. They are obligated to keep the entire law in order to be right with God, This, my friends, is nothing more than a hybrid gospel. It offers the loaf of law, but can never supply the breadcrumbs of grace. Father, I thank you so much. It's so easy to look back over my life and see all the breadcrumbs of grace laying around I have to admit there were times I couldn't see Him when I was going through. I felt like crusty old moldy bread at times in my life. I felt like a cracked wineskin at times in my life, but no more. No more. True identity has set in. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Father, I thank You that the currency of the new covenant is faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in your finished work. Faith in your grace. We don't need to add anything to it. Law can't help us. The law was powerless. And it still is. But grace is what empowers us. Grace gives us the power, gives us the ability to say no to sin. Grace, Jesus' grace that he gives us freely. That's my portion And so, Father, everywhere we go, let us take a handful of those breadcrumbs, everywhere we go, and crack them over people's food, over their ears as they listen to this gospel of grace, that we would not shy away. The Apostle Paul was not shy when he delivered those words to the Galatians. He said, you foolish Galatians, you sensual Galatians. You're operating by feelings and emotions. He said, who has bewitched you? Who has led you into an evil doctrine? Who has done that? It was the Judaizers. The Judaizers with a message that was so mixed up, they didn't understand it themselves. Father, I thank you that you've brought us out from underneath that law. You've taken away that loaf of law and you've set the table and you've invited us to come to the table and you serve breadcrumbs of grace for which I say thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Mark Testerman, senior pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE G-I-V-E to 833-632-1315, or you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. The cornerstone scripture for Triumphant Grace Ministries is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Great grace, such grace, triumphant grace to you. God bless you.